This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield, and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements, and the stories that have been forgotten. Now, I've written the headline to this story. I want you to let me know if you like the headline or not. Because all I got was the story. I didn't see the headline. Is there a pun in the headline? Kind of. The headline is A New Twist on Soul Music. Okay. Soul music. Yeah. Okay. So here's the story. A musician in Boston needed some extra money for a film he was producing and decided to sell his soul um, <laughs> as the answer to his money problems. <laughs> so naturally, he put his soul for sale on eBay for $5,000. I really want to find this listing and figure out what the image was. What's the description of his soul? I mean, did he get into it? Was this like the equivalent of a Tinder profile? You know, like really describing his soul in great detail and why somebody should want it. I didn't see the description. eBay took his post down. Now, eBay requires that items for sale are tangible. That's part of its little small print. And he received, before eBay did take it down, he received an offer from a Canadian man for $666. (laughs) Which I assume is a joke. I think so. Uh, It's worth noting as well that this is by no means the last man who has attempted to pull off this particular transaction. No souls have been bought or sold on eBay, I can tell you, since the inception of the site. Thankfully for that. Okay. We move on to Japan, where an iFairy robot weds a Japanese couple in 2010. As it officiates the wedding? That's right, yes. A machine with flashing eyes and plastic pigtails (laughs) presided over a wedding of Kokoro employee and robotics professor. This sounds like a dream wedding to me. Yeah, you'd be on board with this, would you? Yeah, it sounds fun. It was the first wedding to be led by a robot, according to the manufacturer. It would say that, wouldn't it? And the robot said... Can we just point out that the manufacturer was Kokoro, and it was a Kokoro employee who did this? Yeah. So it's somebody who's basically pushing their business. Sure, sure. But then again, like most people choose to segregate their personal life, particularly something as important as the day they get married with their place of employment. Yeah, they don't think of their wedding as a big marketing exercise, as a billboard for their company. But no. this, this, this particular but employee was listen, dedicated. She was marrying a robotics professor. Yeah. And um, the robot said in a tinny voice, please lift the bride's veil. <laughs> Waving its arms in the air as the newlyweds kissed in front of about 50 guests. The ceremony took place at a restaurant in Hibia Park, Tokyo. The Eye Fairy wore a wreath of flowers and wires led out from beneath it to a black curtain nearby where a man crouched and clicked <laughs> commands into a computer. Oh, it's so unglamorous, isn't it? I love that. I'd love to see what would have happened if it had failed or, you know, it had short circuited. He'd, ha- he'd have to step out and he'd substitute. He'd have to come out, yeah, right? and re officiate in his place. in his, like, black T-shirt and black jeans and black sneakers. Would have had to figure it out somehow. That's it. Uh, okay, so it's kind of like a 2010 kickback. Um, Spanish woman claims ownership of the sun. And I'm not talking about the newspaper either. (laughs) After billions of years, the sun finally had an owner in 2010. A woman from Spain's soggy region, I don't know why soggy is important, of Galicia, said she had registered the star at a local notary public as being her property. Okay, Angeles Duran 
who at the time was 49 years of age, told the online edition of El Mundo that she took the step in September after reading about an American man who had registered himself as the owner of the moon and most planets in our solar system. What? Yeah. That is not something that you can do. Well, apparently, okay, so here it is. I love it so much. We there, need to find this person. There is an international agreement which states that no country may claim ownership of a planet or star, but it says nothing about individuals, <laughs> she added. So she's found the loophole. There was no snag. I back my claim legally. I'm not stupid. I know the law. I did it, but anyone else could have done it. It simply occurred to me first, she said. And I would imagine she was pretty smug as she was announcing that. It's kind of brilliant, I think. Now, listen to this. It gets better. The document issued by the notary public declares Duran to be the owner of the sun, a star of spectral type G2, located in the centre of the solar system, located at an average distance from Earth of about 149,600,000 kilometres. <laughs> Duran said she now wants to slap a fee on everyone who uses the sun and give, give this is in 2010 okay I think we can safely assume this didn't work give half of the proceeds to the Spanish government and 20% to the nation's pension fund she would dedicate another 10% to research another 10% to ending world hunger and would keep the remaining 10% to herself how generous so, of yeah, her I love how just she, keeping a measly 10% of the uh, sun's usage fees yeah to her Herself. But I love how ending world hunger and herself are the equivocal yeah. <laughs> percentages. It's not like 60% world hunger, I'll just take half a percent. No. Yeah. World hunger gets 10%, she gets 10% as well. And however much her fee is, it's enough that 10% of it collected would end world well, hunger. And so. given the fact that every single person on this planet, oh, quote unquote, uses the sun, <laughs> even if her fee is, you know, five dirhams. It's think, going to amount to an awful lot of money. I think we got to get in on this. I think we got to find a star that hasn't been claimed yet. Claim one for off script. Maybe. Can you imagine if we did that? If we named a star after off script? What? What would we call it though? Off script. <laughs> no, it needs. It needs off a script, Latin. It needs some kind of off scriptium. Now I like it. Now I know. It, yeah, it needs some kind of nebulous kind of terminology, doesn't it? You can it just call a star off script. It has yeah. to sound scientific. Off scriptium, I like. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's one of the best ideas you've ever had on this oh, show. Oh, hey. Yeah, name a star after our show. Yeah, it's the best kind of marketing we could get. It's films that we're focusing in on. And producer Rog has joined us in studio. Good evening. You wouldn't miss this for the world, would you? No, I wouldn't miss this for the world. It's my favourite part of the week. There we go, yeah. You wait. You just The weekend can't pass quickly enough exactly, for you yeah. to get back into the office <laughs> on a Sunday and just attack Time Capsule. Love it. We're going to start with Sona Rapani's film choice for 2010. The this floor is, is yours. I think it's fair to say this is a controversial film choice because Sanjay has already brought it up, as have you. It's kind of one of those love it or hate it types of movies. So, of course, I had to go with Christopher Nolan's Inception. Here we go. Let's take a listen. There's one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Subconscious security. We create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream and they fill it with their secrets. Then you break in and steal it. Well... It's not, strictly speaking, legal. It's just one of those mind-bending movies that's got so many layers to it where you kind of are watching it and the whole time you kind of feel like you're only half getting it and you vaguely get a sense of what it's about, but you're not 100% there. But then at the end, it kind of comes together a bit more. Yeah. I think there's still a part of you that's like, what just happened? 
but but it was still unique and so different in Be its honest, concept. Be honest, did you follow it while you were watching it for the first time? I mean, it was 10 years ago. I don't remember how much I followed it, but I remember getting enough of it. <laughs> you don't remember to, anything about the film? I don't. I don't remember anything about the film. <laughs> but I do remember enjoying it. That's all I really remember about it. But I do remember feeling like understanding enough to be able to enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, apparently, and I read this a little earlier today, once The Dark Knight had made a billion dollars at the box office, incredible. Uh, Christopher Nolan was given free reign. Warner Brothers decided, you know what? Go and make your passion project. Go and do Inception. Now, the budget was $160 million for this particular wow. passion project, but the film made $800 million, so it more than made up for it. And I guess... When you recruit the likes of Killian Murphy, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, it's a pretty solid cast. And Sir um, Michael Caine. That's right, yeah. I mean, dream worlds and all that kind of thing, for me, it, it just leaves me a bit befuddled. I don't mind films with a plot twist that require you to pay attention. Mm -hmm. But when I've got no clue, I had no clue what was going on for the duration of that film. And I've just had to accept that I'm perhaps not switched on enough smart enough to understand these very technical kind of confusing movies and they're just not for me so the thing about not being smart enough i'm definitely not smart enough and pretty sure i didn't understand it the first time nor tenet but what i like about christopher nolan is that he throws everything into this world that he's created and he takes you on a journey so you don't necessarily have to understand it but you come back for more i'm sure i've watched inception four or five times because of that because it challenged me so much that i want to go back to it tenet was the same i've watched tenet twice and it was at the cinema and then obviously covid happened and stuff i agree i don't think like i get them a hundred percent but there's enough even we heard it in the trailer there there's enough exposition to explain yeah, yeah. what you're supposed to be experiencing yeah. right. that you can kind of generally or vaguely follow along enough to yes. get the gist of it without getting every single detail. A little fact for you. Tom Hardy said in an interview, he said it was easy to orientate which dream sequence I was in because of my costume. If in doubt, I could just look at my shoes and say, oh, huh. I know which dream I'm in. That's good. That is cool. And now when I rewatch this movie, I will pay attention <laughs> okay. to the shoes. Yeah. Okay. Has it made its way back onto the list? There's enough time elapsed. Of course. I don't remember it. And now that we're talking about it, it's piqued my interest once again. All right. Okay. Rog, your choice for 2010? Yes, indeed. And I've gone for a, a pop art wonder. <laughs> All right. Let's take a listen. You know this one girl with hair like this? Yes, that's Ramona Flowers. She's out of your league. Maybe. Scott Pilgrim? Hi, I was thinking about asking you out, but then I realized how stupid that would be. That's okay. You should just sign for this, all right? So do you want to go out sometime? I say yes, we sign for your damn package. So, yeah, 8 o'clock? Come to this Battle of the Bands thing. You have a band. Yeah, we're terrible. I don't know why this has just made me picture Sanjay on his first day back at school. <laughs> listening to this clip. <laughs> but it has. Sorry, Sanjay. <laughs> that is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So I looked at the film from 2010, and it's actually a very good year for film. Loved Inception. I loved Your Choice, Rob, which we'll come up onto in a bit. And I also loved Shutter Island, which I think is one of Scorsese's best films and kind of really out of his usual oeuvre. But Scott Pilgrim verse in the world stands out in 2010 as a film that is completely different from anything else at the time anything else before and it's inspired a few films as well um, it's poptastic it's got loads of references to popular culture, um, it's kind of a video game come pop art and fusion of uh, graphics and it's got a really 
innocent story in the middle. It's a guy chasing a girl who's way out of his league and with all these intimidating ex-boyfriends. Um, and I just think it's executed really well. It's got nice. Michael Michael Cera in. I was yeah, trying to excellent. place that. He's been voice. in every film yes. Yes. like yeah. that. Michael Cera yeah. has been in every film that stars an awkward teen trying to ask a girl out. He's yeah. perfect to that. And they're in a band. There's loads of little Easter eggs in it. And if you were, grew up in the 80s and 90s and you see all the video game Easter eggs, but little things like they're in a band and when they're uh, first starting out, their amps are called Lame Brand. And then in the when they're playing big gigs, their amplifiers are called Great Brand. You know, it's just little stuff like that where they've really thought about every single detail in the film and it's just great and, and completely fluffy and forgettable, but great. I love Okay, I have gone for a film called The Social Network, which obviously details the rise of Facebook, and it's a bit of a profile on Mark Zuckerberg as well, played by, played brilliantly actually, by Jesse Eisenberg. Take a listen. I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles? I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours? Thousand. 22,000. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges... I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. Now, I'm sure a lot of artistic license was taken in the making of this film, but one thing is for sure, Mark Zuckerberg does not come across as a likeable bloke in this particular movie. Anything but. I mean, the jealousy that he displays from more popular students, the the, the sheer deviousness of his his little manoeuvres, the the Winklevoss twins were the ones that came up with this idea. And um, I don't know, listen, I don't know how, how... scrupulous the film was it must have been to a degree it would have had to be based on on i wouldn't say to the letter that it was factually accurate but of course it wasn't but um yeah the gist of it is probably there the tagline for the film they actually changed it last minute because they actually said um jesse eisenberg's face was the focal point of the the main poster and originally the message says you don't get to 300 million friends without making a few enemies which is a great they changed it to 500 million (laughs) in anticipation that facebook would hit half a billion users in time for the october 2010 release they hedged their bets and the site hit 500 million members just as the film came out. So that gave them almost double the publicity. Yeah, and the other thing, though, is this this came out in 2010. And as we were talking about, Facebook started, what, in 2004, around that time? Yeah. It's not now it's such an institution we don't even think about it. But it was still not new, but still in that newish phase Mm -hmm. where, you know, you didn't really know the backstory behind it. Knowing about Face Mash and, as you said, the duplicity between the Winklevoss brothers and and even the the best friend who helped him basically code the whole thing and develop the whole thing that he then abandoned, you know, it does paint a picture of to get ahead in life in that way. You do have to be a little bit ruthless. And how's yeah. this one final thing for a weird casting U-turn? Jonah Hill was supposed to play the Napster founder, Sean Parker. Ultimately, they gave it to Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. you think of two people, two more <laughs> different actors than Jonah Hill and Justin Timberlake? But he's brilliant in it. Justin he's Timberlake very good. Yeah, really well. he's very, very good. Uh, look. Not a vintage year, I think it's fair to say, Simon. I have to admit, I wasn't... I don't think in most years I would have chosen Inception. I felt like there wasn't much competing for my attention for 2010 that I had watched. 
Is Inception your least favourite of the films you've chosen so far? No, but it would, it would be in that tier. In that bracket. Yeah. Um, arguably, uh, the closest thing that Martin Scorsese has made to a horror movie was released in 2010. It was called Shutter Island. It starred Leonardo DiCaprio. It was a good year for, for Leonardo. Yeah, it was, yeah. With, uh, with Inception, Inception as well. well yeah. He was a US Marshal who travels to a mental institution on a remote island to in- investigate the disappearance of an inmate. We take only the most dangerous and damaged patients, ones no other hospital can manage. These are all violent defenders, right? They've hurt people, murdered them in some cases. In almost all cases, yes. We try to provide them with a measure of calm. Personally, Dark I'd have to say, screw their sense of calm. We need to ask you some questions, okay? I don't think I've seen this. Rog? It's really good. Is it? You'd love it, yeah. It's is it horror sinister. horror, or is it more of like a thriller? I, no, I, I, I probably watched it like 10 years ago, but I don't remember it being a jumpy, jumpy horror film, mm. although that trailer makes it sound like that. It's more like a creeper, you know, a bit mm. of a thriller. I think you'd really enjoy it. I remember thinking Leonardo DiCaprio was brilliant in this at the time. Really? Excellent. And really outside of Scorsese's usual um, oeuvre of films. Great. Mark Ruffalo won his role by sending yeah. a fan letter to Scorsese. He <laughs> uh, really? was cast to play Chuck Owl. His um, future MCU co-stars Robert Downey Jr. and Josh Brolin were also considered for the part, but Ruffalo sent a letter to Scorsese in which he told him how much he'd love to work with him, and I that got him the role. Just love that that worked. Yeah. That in, you know, in this day and age, that something like as simple as writing a letter and saying, listen, I love your work, please think of me, can actually come through. Yeah. Good, good, uh, good initiative shown by him. The major Oscar winner from the year was The King's Speech. It was crowned Best Film at the 83rd Academy Awards in February of the following year. It was nominated for 12 Oscars, the most of any film. It won four statuettes, including for Colin Firth for lead actor, Tom Hooper for director, and David Seidler for original screenplay. My husband is, um, well, he's required to speak publicly. Perhaps he should change jobs. And what of my husband with a king? My husband has seen everyone. Insert them into your mouth. He hasn't seen me. I can cure your husband, but I need total trust. Do you know any jokes? Timing isn't my strong suit. I've not seen it. Um, I've not seen many films this year, actually. 2010, what was I doing? 2010, not watching films, I think it's fair to say. But um, it was the, the major Oscar winner. And it feels to me like it was basically the crown before it became a Netflix show. It, yeah, it was. It showed a really vulnerable side of, of the king who obviously had a stammer and he didn't want to be the king at the time. And I didn't know that story, but like the, like the Facebook film, how do you make a story like that sound interesting? This film really does it really well. Colin Firth's brilliant. Mm. I think that's what stood out to me is the performances yes. in the film. I have to say, maybe controversially, because it's a very popular film, but... I thought it was great, but did I think it was 12 Oscars, the yep. most nominees of any film great? I, felt, I thought it was a little bit over-rated. Yeah. Overblown. And that's probably, that is probably backing up our statement that this was not the strongest year in film as a result. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's true. New Republic was not overly impressed. They said, The King's Speech is one of those films that is not content to show us a friendship developing over two hours. No, the characters must also tell us how much the friendship means to them. (laughs) Adding, While the royal family may frequently appear more tawdry than anything else, cheap American Anglophilia can always be counted on to provide thunderous (laughs) applause. They were not fans of The King's Speech. Other big films in the year, The Town, Ben Affleck's, uh, I think it was his directorial debut, and he both starred and directed that movie. That was critically acclaimed, really the, um, the, the bank robbery movie. Um, Machete, how can we forget Machete? So good. Uh, really, really good film. I mean, when I say really, really good film, I mean if you're in the mood for a mindless yeah. kind of revenge slash em up type sort of film. <laughs> um, starring, uh, it was Danny Trejo, wasn't it? Mm. Who, uh, In fact, you did a feature on this, Zone. I did, because the whole way that this movie happened is because of another film. It was a fake trailer. That's right. Certain movies. So it was Robert Rodriguez who did this. He did a double feature for Grindhouse and Planet Terror, which was co-produced by Quentin Tarantino. And there was a fake trailer in those films, and then they decided to take that. It was so popular, they actually fleshed it out into its own feature film. Now, I've got a great little story about this, because as Robert Rodriguez tells it, after conceiving of the character Machete and telling Danny Trejo about it, Rodriguez started receiving phone calls at random hours of the day from Danny, trying to convince him to make the film. One day, Robert said to Danny that he was busy and asked, why can't you just send a message instead of constantly calling? To which he replied, Machete don't text. (laughs) And Machete says this exact phrase in the film. I love that. Uh, so there you have it. That's the, the, the cinema action from 2010. What about the music? So in your choice for song of the year? Yeah, I'm going to go with Timberg, who you may otherwise know as Avicii. I feel in Chris's absence, you've really carried the baton. <laughs> For you know dance what it music. is? There's certain music that just takes... It was so feel-good, this song. And I just have vivid memories of, you know, party years, of being out. You're just at Sandance, or you're somewhere around town, and just this song would just lift the mood. Yeah, Everybody would sure. get into it. So you just remember it as one of those classics. Were you a fan, Roz? Did you party your way to this? Funny enough, no. When you hear this <laughs> song I've chosen, you'll figure out why. Okay, Roz has chosen this one. And I tell you what, if this has not appeared on a barbecue playlist that you have constructed, right. then I don't know what has. Explain, Rog. So good. Uh, it's from an album which is really good called Torches. Foster the People are great. They, they, write, they write that jangly, sparkly pop, but there's a real serious message behind this song. I won't spoil it for you. If you want to find out what it's about, you can find it online. But there's some dark lyrics in this, really well disguised in just a disposable, beautiful, jingly, jangly pop song. Yeah, Clever it's good. stuff. Uh, very, very much a big fan of that. And uh, Back in the day as well, yeah. that got an awful lot of, of airtime. Now, the one I've chosen is, um, it's a bit random, actually. It's extremely random, in fact. And um, it's from an album by The War on Drugs, which is, I would say, my favourite band since 2010, is The War on Drugs. They actually founded in in 2003, but they didn't really take off until this year. They're fronted by a a guy called Adam Grandusiel. They're a Philadelphia rock band. It's very Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan. This is called Baby Missiles. (laughs) 
actually have a new album coming out in October. Uh, but the cool. last couple of albums, I don't know. I don't, I've never actually met another fan of theirs, so yeah. maybe I'm the only one they've in the UAE. By. I've heard of them, but they've passed me by. So you can good. hear that Springsteen stuff. And though. then the harmonica comes Listen in. Listen to that. Yeah, it's great. Baby Missiles by the War on Drugs. Uh, but there was quite a lot of good music, actually, in 2010. It was last year, 2009 was not so strong, but I feel like... Uh, the, the era in general improved a lot. The, the sort of uh, the digitization of music helped improve the general quality of, of what was being put out significantly from the kind of the turn of the millennium. And um, this particular song that I'm going to go to next uh, by an artist called Robin was a highly acclaimed pop song, which ranks high on a number of best of lists. In fact, the critics of the Guardian newspaper in the UK voted this as their best track of 2010. It's called Dancing on My Own. my choice for best track of I 2010. I love this song. I absolutely love this song. And I think Robin around this time, because she came out in the 90s with some like really poppy pop songs. And she kind of made her That's big right. break internationally then. Yeah. And then came back around, around this time, 2010 or so. And she had a few singles that were just really like cult favorites mm. yeah amongst and, and pop favorites but but definitely had a big following amongst people yeah absolutely that sounds very 2010 and also just mad to think how much of a um, huge export pop music is from sweden you know it's massively it's great mm. uh, this is uh, one from the indie canon this is arcade fire and the suburbs nice backstory to this song actually by the canadian indie rock band um apparently uh, in this case win butler was sent a photograph of an old school friend of his you can hear the nostalgia in the song yeah and he was standing with his daughter sitting on his shoulders at the mall around the corner from where they lived and he said the combination of seeing this familiar place seeing my friend with his kid brought a lot of feeling back from that time and I find myself trying to remember the town that we grew up in, trying to retrace my steps as much as I can remember. That's you nice. can feel that's a very nostalgic-sounding song as well, that, yeah. I think. Um, we've got one here by... I love this song, actually. And this was a great album called Brothers, and it was by a, a blues rock band called The Black Keys, which I'm sure you're all very familiar with, American blues rock duo, uh, Dan Auerbach and the drummer Patrick Carney, and it's called Next Girl. Oh This was another one with a backstory because Patrick Carney had just come out of a divorce and the story goes that Dan Auerbach wrote this for him to acknowledge the fact that he knew what his musical partner was going through That's with great. this wow. particular breakdown in his relationship. He said they got very emotional when they recorded it in studio and put the song together and put the put the vocals over the great over the backing track. I feel like 2010, low-key, kind of sleeper, yeah. great music year. Yeah, very didn't, much so. Didn't necessarily expect that, but really, no. like the range of what you've picked here, I'm really loving it. Yeah, and then The National, again, not for everyone, The National, the deepest voice, Matt Berniger, of, I think, any front man that I can think of. Yeah, really. But this was, this was taken from, I think, one of their better albums, and it's called Afraid of Everyone.
according to Matt, this song is about anxiety and paranoia and not knowing how to deal with it and also wanting to fend yourself and your family from the chaotic forces of evil. We're taking on a lot <laughs> with that. Yeah. That is an awful lot to take on. A certain football team was doing this. Siniesta's in the middle all alone. If Fernando Torres can find him, it's stabbed away uncomfortably to Fabregas. Surely now! Surely now! Spain have won the World Cup for the first time in history. Andres Iniesta has broken Dutch hearts with the goal of 116 minutes that promises to save even Hispania for the first time ever. You could hear the ceaseless drone of those Vuvuzelas in the background. That was the sound, that was the signature sound of the FIFA World Cup, (laughs) the first... World Cup to be held in South Af- in, in Africa, mm-hmm. let alone South Africa, and the first one won by Spain, and uh, that was in 19 editions of the tournament. Their ascent to the pinnacle of world p- football, Spain, was complete when they beat Netherlands 1-0 in the final. It was a, a disappointing World Cup, really, in terms of overall drama and excitement. I mean, it was eclipsed by 2018 and, and probably quite a few of the others as well, but there was no doubting Spain's superiority, mm-hmm. and they probably still rank as the finest international f- side since the turn of the millennium. Because they were Euro- Champions, right? Yeah, they won three in a row. They won Euros 2008, they won the World Cup, and then they won the 2012 Euros. And you were in Spain, so I was in Barcelona watching that match, and it was unreal. I mean, it was just, you know, the cars with people out of their um, sunroofs uh, with the flags. I was watching it in a massive park. They had such a small little projector screen that we redirected. We just kind of ran during a break to an alley and found a little pub. And by the end of it, we were just everybody was euphoria in there, you know, hugging like random 60 year old men that you couldn't speak to. English. It was oh, just one great. of those great moments. It was amazing. Yeah, Rafa Nadal was dominating men's tennis. He won the French Open, he won Wimbledon, and he won the US Open to take three of the four Grand Slams, with Roger Federer's win in Australia denying him a calendar Grand Slam. He beat Djokovic in four sets in Flushing Meadows, and amazing that we're still talking about the big three 11 years later yeah, in yeah. 2021. Um, and the following year, and the following decade, really, would belong to Novak Djokovic. And in golf, Tiger Woods returned to the Masters post-scandal. Mm. Um, his first tournament since Thanksgiving 2009 when his life just unraveled on that fire hydrant where he drove a car into a fire hydrant and so poured forth all these salacious stories about him he would go on to finish fourth this is a little clip from a very terse news conference I'd like to uh, tell all the players um, hopefully after today after answering questions at this press conference that the players who can be left alone to focus on the Masters and focus on their game not only for this week but uh, going forward as well. And I uh, certainly apologize to all of them for having to endure what they've had to endure the past few months. Um, a lot has happened uh, in my life over the past five months. And um, I'm here at the Masters to play and compete. And I'm um, just really excited about, about doing that. 
And it was incredibly cringy. He'd given a public mere culpa. He did a yeah. press conference mm. before the Masters, before his return, which was organised by his agent. His mum attended, a lot of the players, a lot of the PGA Tour members of staff. And he got up there and he kind of... It was this horribly scripted, awkward apology where yeah. he didn't really apologise. It wasn't spoken from the heart. It was wooden. It was awful. Um, and, and just coming back to the sanctity of Augusta, which is a place that he'd, he'd done so well at, he was chastised by by the, the, the membership, the, the, the organisers of the tournament, which I thought was a bit rich. You watch the Tiger documentary on HBO, they're all getting up on their high horse right. saying, oh, how, you know, how could he do that? And I, I'm, come on. Uh, let, let's see if there's anyone among you, mm-hmm. all those green-jacketed members mm-hmm. who've never had an affair or have never done anything yeah. you know, uh, of that ilk. And, yeah. then, and then, then you can talk before you start preaching. What was but, that like for you as a big fan of his? As oh, that it, was, it, was, it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, it was a real fallen idol moment. He was uh, Superman in terms of golf, and he went on to finish fourth at that tournament. Amazingly, despite playing in front of incredible pressure and just general scrutiny, but it must be pretty. It must be pretty harrowing to have your life picked apart like that and to have all the sort of salacious details of what you've been up to just poured forth and plastered over TMZ for six months. I mean, he certainly paid for it in more ways than one. Well, the fact that he didn't go into hiding and he came back out to play some golf says a lot. He he played some golf. He didn't do much else other than play some (laughs) golf. The way you said that dismissively. No, I didn't mean it dismissively. I mean that sincerely. I think most people would go into hiding, you know? Yeah. After something like that. They would be advised to go into hiding. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. So that's 2010. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.